Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tech podcast series. It's me, Charlie Sell, the Group MD for Arrows Group, where I'm interviewing thought leaders, tech leaders, people who work within our technology ecosystem, asking them a bit about their story, thoughts about technology that's passionate to them, and that all-important career advice to our many STEM listeners. So I'm really pleased to have Dr. Shawful Islam with me today, who is the Chief Product and Data Officer at Outthink. Outthink are a global human risk management platform. And, and uh, as we're going to find out, Dr. Shawful has quite an interesting uh, story of, of how he got into data and, and technology and, um, and a bit about what he does. It's, it's really, really fascinating. So Shawful, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's jump straight in and yeah, let's hear a bit about your story, how you got into data and, and, uh, and ended up uh, Outthink as one of the, the many companies you worked with. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Um, so I guess my story starts is that I, I did a, a degree in psychology because um, I wanted to sort of understand people and I wanted to get away from science. Okay, so I thought psychology was a good way of not going too into the humanities, but, you know, um, but far away from sciences as possible. Unfortunately, I turned up and realized that most of it was research methodologies and statistics. Um, but it was okay. So, um, it was so okay that I, I, you know, I did a master's and then a PhD in psychology. Um, and one of the things that I did when I was doing my PhD was that I, I built a model to predict um, why children have accidents. Um, so, so yeah, so, uh, it, it, you, know, I, you know, back then there was no data science, you know, uh, cloud computing was, wasn't even probably was, you know, nascent if, if at all heard about. Um, you know, we're talking a lot of late 90s here. Uh, giving away my age um so you know um uh, so 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 yeah so I, I use sort of advanced statistical techniques uh, to predict why children have accidents putting in multiple variables um, that i collected and then what happened was i, I realized i didn't want to work in academia uh, but you know you, you're sort of unsure after you do a phd where you could fit in um but i got a role at the nhs and um I, I was basically a, a sort of a health researcher, health promotion researcher. Um, and what I did was I tried try to work out why children fell ill, why they came into A&E uh, wards in hospitals, um, that kind of stuff. And then a few years there, I moved into public sector. But one of the core things that I did actually early on is that I realized that if I took my academic uh, sort of approach to uh, understanding human behavior, which was typically surveys and asking and interviews, it, it, it didn't really excite me. What I really enjoyed was getting actual data from that people did. So in a hospital, if you imagine, they've got the patient administration system. So it logs, you know, who arrived, when they arrived, what their condition was, if there's any background, it has all their demographic information around them. Same when I worked in local government, you know, we had access to, you know, um, uh, housing benefit data, council tax data. So there's a lot of like data um, out there that tells us a lot about what people do, but maybe not necessarily what their intentions or motivations are, but it tells you their behaviors. So for example, one of the things that your listeners might hate me for is that I analyzed um, parking ticket data to work <laughs> out, you know, who, 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 who parked where and where, where the wardens needed to be uh, to, to minimize that kind of stuff. But it gave you an idea of, you know, why people behaved in a certain way. And so that's what I was really fascinated in was 
understanding human behavior that's collected automatically. And as you can imagine, you know, turn of the 2000s, you know, uh, the, 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 the millennium, the internet boomed, right? And so we had all this data being collected from the internet. We had CRM systems, we had data warehouses everywhere. And so I was more interested in that kind of data than the traditional research type, survey type data. Um, and then, a you know, a few years afterwards, I, I decided I'd, I'd, I'd go over to the commercial sector. Um, so I, I took the leap over to the commercial sector. And I actually found that's where, you know, I, I realized I, I, I was actually a data analyst. So before I always thought myself as a researcher and I'd worked in areas who, which labeled me as a researcher, but moving over to the commercial sector, I realized I was actually a data analyst. I was analyzing actual data that came from uh, systems and things. And, you know, there, that's where I sort of learn uh, in the few, first few companies that I worked for, like Betfair and ITV about databases and data warehousing, uh, learn about SQL. Um, I already had uh, a skill set in analyzing data, statistical data using SPSS. So that was fine. I knew how to run all the statistical stuff, but I hadn't had the grounding in what most traditional data analysts would have had, which is S uh, SQL. Excel and I found I've always been sort of good at that kind of technical stuff. And I think it's more that I can uh, work things out. So, you know, but one thing I'm really bad at, and I'll just tell you now, is that I'm very bad at remembering code. So, you know, if, if I was to go to an interview and they asked me to code something, I'd be rubbish at it. But I could solve the problem. If you gave me a bit of time, Google and some books, I could solve the problem. Um, but anyway, one thing I did realize is that I was quite unique, that I had a psychology background. I was working in this data space where most people came from a math background or a computer science type background um, but what, what I I felt that I I, th I I didn't realize at the time but later on I realized is that I was always presenting my findings and I found that senior stakeholders would always come back to me and want to know more and I always wondered why they'd come back to me and not to my peers who were probably more from a more technical approach um, and the thing I learned later on in life is that I, I was very good at empathizing with uh, my, my audience, right? Because of the psychology, you know, I understood that we're all people. I had theories on why people behave in the way they do, you know, how, how their belief structures are uh, sort of formed and stuff. And so every time I was presenting, I was, I guess, informally deploying my psychology knowledge. Um, and again, I don't know if it was because of my psychology training or whether it's because of me, but, you know, life experiences are a combination of, you know, what you've studied and who you are as well, I guess. Uh, and because I was approaching it in a way that I, I wanted my audience to understand what I was doing and how it would help them, I, I found that it was easier for me to uh, progress up the career ladder, okay, because I was presenting to senior stakeholders and then eventually I, I became part of, you know, what, what a senior senior stakeholders um, and so yeah so after ITV I went agency side and the reason I went agency side is actually a, a personal challenge I in all the companies I'd, I'd worked in whether it was the NHS or local government or Betfair or ITV I grew teams but I, I, I always wanted to know whether you know they saw value in it and I thought if I go to an agency and I grow a team there's got to be value because someone's paying for it right whereas mm -hmm. with an internal client team it's not always the case that uh, you know someone's paying for it they may just give you an extra headcount because they want to keep you I, I didn't know anyway so I went to agency and, and there I you know Wonderman I, I grew a very large team um, and then eventually I uh, started my own sort of consultancy in data science um, uh, the first one out in Indonesia, Indonesia and then a current one here which is called subatomic analytics where I do uh, a, a lot of sort of data analysis and data science uh, and then as you mentioned I also work for Be uh, Out, OutThink 
um, as their chief product and data officer trying to build or we are building the first human risk management platform. So that's really my story of how a psychologist ended up in uh, the space of data uh, and yeah. tech. The other thing to add, yeah, sorry, just the other thing to add, I've always been interested in technology though, as in um, how things work. So, you know, even when I had my first PC, I, you know, I, I actually built it rather than buy one off the shelf. I wanted to build it. So I, I think, you know, even if you are from a, a non-tech or STEM background, you have to have some interest in tech. Um, and one of the things that it benefited me having that interest is that as a psychologist, when I used to collect data in my research days, I created the questionnaire. So I knew what I was asking and what I would get. But when you're, when you're using data from systems, you have to understand how it's being collected, how you tag a website, how you uh, put a field in a CRM system determines the data you collect. So therefore your analysis and your insights are influenced by the, the quality of the input data. Yeah. And, 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 and that's just a really good point to lead on to the next section because it's, but, but before that, just, just covering your, your history, because actually what, what I love is the fact that you've, you've had public sector experience, you've gone into in-house ITV, Betfair, as he said, and then agency and, and that, that breadth. Do you feel that having, a, having that variety has helped hone your skills and, and given you more, more transferable skills? Yes, so, so there are pros and cons. So definitely more transferable skills. I think when you work across different sectors, you, you, you get to understand how businesses operate. You know, when, when you're working in commercial companies, it is, you know, revenue driven. When you're working in public sector, there are various other KPIs that you focus on. So definitely a lot of transferable skills. But one thing you compromise when you move across different areas is depth. Okay, so, um, I, you know, so I spent a, about four and a half years at ITV and I grew, developed a very strong depth in uh, broadcast. Um, so not only just the, the, the digital side of the video and demand, but also the traditional side of it, uh, the traditional side of broadcast. So domain expertise, but also tools and system expertise, okay? Because you, you get familiar with certain tools and stuff. And then when you go to other sectors, you get familiar with other stuff. So at the moment, I have a good breadth of knowledge around this area. And that serves you well when you're running your own analytics consultancy or you're doing a startup because you, you sort of understand what is possible and what's out there. Um, but what you, what you do lose, and if you're interested in that, is if you wanna be a specialist, okay, and you wanna have a very narrow expertise. So if you wanted to do, let's say a deep learning, machine learning engineer, you know, it wouldn't be advisable to work across so many different sectors doing different things. You probably wanna home in in one domain, one sort of type of data set and, and one tool to build that. Yeah, and, and, and that's a really good point, because I think that's where the world of technology has moved on. When, when I entered the industry, and I'll show my age now, 15 years ago, where software engineering, or in those days, developers, you know, that was, their, that was the learn one language, become an expert in it, and it will give you a job for life. And even over this 10, 15 year period, the software engineering world has changed, where now actually polyglot engineering or, or, or learning a variety of skills is quite important because that's evolving on a daily basis. But what I've seen is then the niche new areas are coming from cloud and data where, <laughs> where machine learning, robotics, where you do need to really learn because it's so complex. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's super, super in depth. So, so you have to become a master of it if you wanna really be the expert, I guess. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and if you imagine, you know, in the tech space, what, a few years ago in CMS world, you know, you had to know Drupal or something, yeah. you know, to, 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 you know, because they needed data expertise. But now, you know, the likes of Wix and, um, you know, so CRM tools, just you don't need that, that, that expertise anymore. And I'm sure in the data space, we may end up there. But for now, there is a need for, like you said, machine learning engineers, data engineers, uh, data ops. There's all these roles that have come about, mainly because, like you said, with the data and cloud converging uh, and some specialist skills being required. Um, but yeah, so let's see how that spans out. And I guess that, that, that leads nicely into the, 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 the next part of the conversation, which is around the evolving technology. And if we keep it on data, where even in the, over, let's say, let's just use the last five years, how have you seen the world of data and cloud, but data specifically, jobs five years ago versus jobs today, is there, and then jobs in the future? Do you see a trend or do you see a movement? Um, so it is interesting because I think a lot of when I look at the core of data analysis, whether you call it data science or business intelligence, it still remains. How you deploy that has changed. And so I'll give you an example. Um, the, the first time I interviewed a data scientist, it was 2014. So like I said, because I, I'd already done what data scientists do, I didn't think of it as, you know, they just sort of existed. But the first time I interviewed a data scientist in 2014, when it was all buzzing and new, um, and he said to me, I was using all these techniques. And you know, when I was asking him, what is it, what is it? It actually it boiled down to actual statistical techniques. And then it dawned on me, what's happened, okay, is that first of all, you had, uh, hosted solutions. So people, you know, companies would buy data centers, right? And what that meant was that in some way they limited how much data they would play around with because it's cost, right? So if an analyst suddenly wanted to look at all of its log files, but, you know, unless the company was flashing in money, they were like, mm, maybe not, we'll, we'll process it for you, we'll aggregate it for you. And so, you know, they never got the richness of the data because the data center was a cost. Then when we had cloud, especially with Amazon coming in first into the scene, um, and they're, they're providing that scalability that you can ramp up and down by day or even by hour, literally, you know, you don't have to pay for a lease for 12 months. You could literally buy for one hour, process all that data, narrow it down and do that. You had now much richer data that historically was potentially available, but wasn't probably being used because it just cost too much to process and analyze. So you had that. And then at the same time, you probably had um, a, 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 a stream, I guess, of data analysts or people who had statistical skills like myself, but were from a technical background. So maybe people who'd studied maths and computer science or a bit of computer science and AI, who realize now actually do things because they had the data and the tech. Right. So, you know, and, you know, the likes of Amazon and Facebook, they would have already had those people uh, with their tech in-house technologies building these kind of stuff. And so therefore other people saw what well, we could now do that. And so I guess then, you know, data science became sort of mainstream. So, you know, in days, I think that's what was happening, that convergence of uh, uh, the, the cloud infrastructure, uh, people realizing that they had the combination of skills to be able to utilize that. And then over that, I think, Two things I've, I've noticed happening a lot. Um, some companies have come onto this new. So they've probably never had data before um, and they got into that new and they've hired data scientists. But what happened is that they actually needed data analysts because, because they were seeing the data for the first time, they were just fascinated with the analytical side of it rather than the data science side of it. And that's where I think it's been a bit uh, hit and miss for data scientists where they've gone into roles and they've been disappointed because the, the company's doing great stuff, but they are actually interested in just the fundamentals. The second trend, what you're finding is that you've got traditional people like, like business intelligence, what we used to call business intelligence or reporting analysts, who are now moving over from traditional, you know, on-premise business objects 
to cloud-based Redshift and Tableau, for example. You know, so, so they're using all these different tools. And then you've got like traditional uh, data analysts who may have used SAS previously are now using Python and SQL. And because of the infrastructure, they're able to do more. Um, so I'm seeing, like I said, over the five years, uh, sort of that way that 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 flow of uh people finding their skill set doing different things new companies coming in and doing that stuff but if you look down at the nitty gritty it's still the same they're either yeah. delivering insight they're delivering a product um or they're delivering a report okay yeah. uh, and, and you still find that, that those core things are not going to go away because businesses fundamentally haven't changed okay so um so you know as, as someone in data you're still going to have to deliver on those needs yeah yeah and that's and that's really again I, I really like that 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 view and like as you said you when you were with ITV you were you were doing the job of a data scientist before it was even called a data scientist and fundamentally when you strip it back as you say you know it's insights or it's product or it's reports and although there's there's a lot of bells and whistles around it if you can keep yourself grounded to the to the core again there's probably a lot of transferable skills that come into this or, or skills you may not even realize you had or specialize in i mean if, I think... yeah. I mean, if, if you take across all three of them the, the the data cleansing data manipulation data extraction skills are core across all of them okay mm -hmm. and and they're, they're the kind of skill sets that you know if you're in the world of data you're going to have to learn those skills you're not going to be able to uh, get away not doing those kind of yeah. things and so that leads really nice into the last part of the, the, the podcast where where there's going to be a lot of our listeners who, you know, data is such a prominent thing now. And and, and, and obviously it's risen to the top of the, the tree along with cloud as it, as it really is the future as, as infrastructure gets more and more uh, or capacity keeps growing. So does data and it's a never ending cycle. Um, so with people wanting to enter this, this bar and if they want to specialize in data, um, what, what one or two bits of advice would you give them, you know, to be able to stand out from the crowd? Okay, so I think that there's this, I would split it into two, like I said, you know, that we had the specialist and then we had the generalist. Okay, so if you are really good, like, you know, let's say, you know, you, you've done a degree where you've really specialized in AI in a particular field, or you've done natural language processing, and you want to stand out, then that's the kind of stuff that you want to um, uh, so promote in your CV when you go for interview, that you're a specialist. But that then does narrow down what you can work, because obviously you've got to find the companies that need that expertise, right? Um, so. Uh, so if, you, if you're going to go down that route, be very good at it, make sure you know to the nth degree stuff that I probably wouldn't even know about, because I'm just learning, about, getting into a bit of detail around NLP, and, and there's all these uh, uh, latent semantic analysis and all these terms, but you need to know all of those, okay? because if you're expected to be an expert, even at the graduate level, um, there's an expectation that you know the terms or yeah. you know the concept not necessarily know how to deploy them maybe because you've not had the practical experience, but you should know the concepts and, and when they should and shouldn't be used. Um, so that's if you're going down the deep expertise. For those of, uh, of, of, of the rest of those who aren't going to go down the deep expertise, who want, just want to go into the area of data, the thing I would point, to, point out is that you need to understand that the data itself is not the end goal. It is used by the business to do something. 
Okay, so whether that's to drive more revenue, whether that's to drive more customers, whether it's to give a better customer experience, that's what you need to be focusing on. So take all your skills that you do. So let's say you're a maths graduate and you want to get into data. Take all your skills and say, right, okay, how can I use that to help the business achieve something that it wants to achieve? And you know what most businesses, you know, you don't need to speak to them, but you will know if you speak to any business owner, you will know they have the common needs. You know, they've got to maintain margin. They've got to uh, keep their costs down. They've got to get more cust new customers, retain existing customers they're common things that they have so think about the skills that you have and how that can be used to help the business uh, do that because you know from my experience and I've recruited a lot of people I mean I have probably interviewed thousands of people is that I see a lot of smart graduates coming through the door you know it, it's not like we have a a, a, a problem with with smart grads we've got a lot of people who, who are very technically very good but where we do lack which I see is that the ability to translate that skill set to the working environment yeah. okay why is it, you know why is your skills that you have applicable to me as a business um, and I think if you can show that you will stand out because you would have taken or you would have um, demonstrated yourself in a way that someone who's, who, who only demonstrates them after they work for a couple of years have gained that knowledge okay so you know if you are a graduate now try and pick those skills up just speak to business people you know you find they have common uh, challenges and and you know what they are and then see how your skills can help uh, uh, tackle those challenges yeah and and i think that last point around uh, um, being able to translate the skills that you've learned into how that can add value in a commercial environment is is so prevalent you know and, and yeah as you said you don't have to pretend that you've got the, the, the hands-on experience, but but you've got to be able to show that you understand the theory behind how you can try convert that the, the, the theory into into value added skills. Exactly. Um, I mean one of the things it shows is that it shows that you can grow. Okay, because as, as, a, as an organization, when you hire someone, what you don't want, the, want to think is, oh, my God, I've got to spend so much effort getting them from here to here. If you're already demonstrating that, that you, you know, you're a graduate, you've come for an interview and you're already talking about the world of work as though, you know, you, you've done a bit of research, you've done a bit of reading. That to me as an employer is impressive. That shows to me that you've gone beyond just relying on your degree from your university. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Again, totally agree. Oh, Shawful, thank you. What, what, what a great way to, to wrap up this, this uh, quite special podcast with it being focused on data and with your background being um, as, as varied as it is. And, um, and to our listeners, I, I really hope there's been some really good uh, takeaways from that. You know, the, the, where I took, uh, what I took from the conversation varied everything from um, understanding that getting into technology and doesn't have to have a STEM background necessarily, but but actually it is still about having an interest and a passion and being able to transfer skills and for the grads to really think about what your skills are and, and being able to transfer them to show a future employer how that can add value and, uh, and that you can learn. I think that's what we finished on, that your ability to be able to grow and learn. And if you can evidence that in, in various ways, it's going to make you stand out um, a lot, lot more than, than people who are just purely leveraging academic results or, um, or theory so so yeah thank you Shawful thank you very much for being on the show I hope you found that uh, not too painful <laughs> it's very enjoyable thank you brilliant and to all our listeners that's another episode of the Future Tech podcast uh, the podcast is on our webpage arrowspodcast.com it's on the career portals of our 17 partner universities and it's also on Spotify Google and um apple so 
Um, here's to another show. Thank you everyone for listening and goodbye.